we are in the book of Genesis, and um, we're in chapter 6 today. And there's a few things that I want to do before I get to reading the scripture relating to that. I, I try to preach, not for knowledge, but for transformation. And so some of this will seem a little bit heady, and yet there's a lot of big questions that come out of uh, chapters 5 and 6 uh, that I want to just help you see um, how we take care of some of that and organize that. And so this morning I, wa I want to say, um, you, you remember Cain killed Abel. And so there was Cain left, and then Adam and Eve had Seth. And so out of the three boys, there were the two descendants, uh, that lines of descendants that came out of that. And the line of Cain, it's interesting, it just continues to get increasingly evil. And Seth represents a, a godly heritage and a godly line, and, and the descendants of Seth seem to take up worship and prayer and godliness. And so that's kind of their heritage, and, and that goes down for several generations that way. The contrast is seen in two guys by the same name that you pick up in chapter 5 and chapter 6. Um, both in the line of Cain, there's a Lamech, and in the line of Seth, there's a Lamech. And in the line of Cain, the Lamech, the Lamech there murders a young man um, who has wounded him. And um, then he goes and boasts to his wives about the evil deeds he had done. And so you, you can see that Lamech following in that path of sin. And then there is the Lamech who follows um, in the path of Seth. And, and there's just godly role models there. And Lamech becomes the father of Noah, the godly man who walked with God and through whom we see um, the story of Noah's Ark and all of that. Satan was at work there. He did not like that. He doesn't just want one line here, and he doesn't want a godly line over here. He always wants to try his best to get us to compromise with each other until there is, you know, no true godly strain of people, godly descendants. And so that's what he was trying to do, is trying to encourage this compromise. And so he, he enticed the godly line of Seth, or the sons of God, as the scriptures refer to them as, to mix with the ungodly line of Cain, or the daughters of men, as Genesis refers to them as, um, and pretty soon, these godly men had abandoned their devotion to God as they intermarried with the descendants of Cain. The result of those um, marriages resulted in the Nephilim, uh, which means fallen one. And you see Nephilim here in, in this context. You also see Nephilim um, later on when Joshua goes in to possess Canaan. And so even the flood doesn't take care of these Nephilim because eventually our tendency is, as, as we live our lives, is to compromise little by little. 
And so there were wicked people later on too. So the flood didn't take care of that because we all still have um, that sin nature that um, we inherited, all of us, from Adam. So these, they had fallen, these Nephilim had fallen from their godly heritage so much that at the point that Noah comes along and this story in Genesis chapter 6 comes along, there is only one small family of eight that is truly revering the Lord across the face of the earth. Now that's, you know, you stop and think about that. I mean, we don't, we don't give that a lot of thought. But here God had created the heavens and the earth and made everything for these people that he loved. And the end result as he gets to Genesis chapter 6 is that out of all the people, even from a godly you know, heritage and descendants and all of that, there was only one family serving him in all the earth. So let's, let's go through the scripture together in Genesis chapter 6. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterwards when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on earth and that every inclination of the hearts of the human heart, the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. And the Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created and with them the animals, the birds, the creatures that move along the ground for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, and he walked faithfully with God. Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, The earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And I am surely going to destroy both of them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening of one cubit high all around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make the lower, middle, and upper decks. I'm going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the, life of the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish. But I will establish my covenant with you, 
and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird and of every kind of animal and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and store it away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. Father, what an amazing story with a lot of truth and a lot of implications for our lives. I pray, Father, that you, by your Spirit, would speak through your word to each one of us and meet us at whatever point we need to hear your voice today. For each of us, that will be a little bit different. And so, Father, we just invite your Spirit to move in among us and a move among each one of us. Help us to hear what your Spirit has to say to your people. Amen. Some of the saddest words in all the scripture are found in verse 6. That it saddened God's heart that he had made man because our hearts were so set on evil and wickedness. When you stop and think about God creating everything and God creating all these people, There are times, if you've been an adult, when um, sometimes you're, you're disappointed in your own children and some little decision they make, probably not even all that big, but you get disappointed and your heart aches for them because you want what is best for them. Can you imagine God creating all of the world, creating all of mankind, and then watching them just completely drift away and not just drift away, but become intentionally evil and opposed to God. And so he grieves in his heart that he ever even made man. <laughs> and so he made up his mind to destroy everything. That decision was going to be a very costly decision for God. Because it meant he was destroying everything that he had made. And all those people that he loved. It cost God that. It also cost Noah something. God sacrificed all that he had made except for Noah's family in order to save the world and put it back on track again. But Noah, Noah gave up everything he had accumulated over 500 years. <laughs> I'm glad I'm not going to live 500 years. I don't want to accumulate any more stuff. <laughs> or ever move it again. <laughs> Can you imagine all the stuff Noah had accumulated And he lost it all in the flood. In his long life, all his other relationships and all his stuff and all those things and all of that in order to start over. 
And I just want to make this one little point. Sacrifice always precedes success and new beginnings. You will always have to give up something to gain something new. Stop and think about that in your life. You will never get anything of value new without sacrificing something else. And so often, you and I miss spiritual opportunities in our life because we are still hanging on to something else. Noah was willing to make that sacrifice. And God was willing to make that sacrifice to get something new and start a new beginning. God had purpose here to destroy all flesh, but he was about to alter his plan just because of one man and his family. That's one of the most encouraging things that you find in this whole story. It's a reminder to us that God is always responsive to our actions and to our decisions. He, he's sovereign God of the universe. And he's made up his mind to destroy the world. Destroy all human flesh. And because there's one man, Noah, and his small family who is righteous. God says, oh, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change that plan. And God responds because of one person. And I want you to know that God in all his sovereign power and authority is responsive to you. And to the choices that you make, God cares about you. And he changes his plan as you change the decisions that you make in your life. He, he's accommodating to those things. He's responsive to our actions. Noah is a man who's mentioned 50 times in nine different books of the Bible. That makes him one of the most mentioned guys in the Bible. One of the great verses in the Bible follows just two verses later from one of the worst verses in the Bible where it says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Or the King James used to say, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Question is, how do we find favor with God? Number one, Noah chose to focus on God. Noah is evidence that your environment does not need to create your character. Your environment does not have to create your character. You are not locked into a certain character just because of the environment you have been in and exposed to. Noah has been living where, you know, he and his family are just totally oddballs. 
they do not fit in anywhere. And the next hundred years wasn't going to help that at all. <laughs> but Noah was used to already being different from the people around him. He was different. He was an oddball. He focused on God. He didn't join in with everything else that everyone else was doing. He was that lone ranger out here by himself following God. And, and environment has certainly a big impact on us. But sometimes we as Christians fall into that trap of thinking that just because of my environment, we have an excuse. No, we, we just have an environment that we have to deal with. And we have to figure out a way to work through the environment that we are in uh, and, and figure out how to honor God in that environment. We can't use the environment around us as an excuse for wickedness or sin. Secondly, Noah was righteous. Now, righteousness refers to my relationship with God primarily. And it is the very first time we see that word in the scriptures. It is righteousness that comes from faith and not by works. I mean, in other words, Noah wasn't righteous because of what he did. Noah was righteous because of who he was in his heart. And that changed the things he did. None of us could ever be perfectly righteous in word, thought, and deed. So obviously, if, righteous, if Noah is considered righteous, it's not just because of the things he did. It is entirely because of his faith. He had faith that God made him righteous. It is a righteousness also that has been passed down from one generation to another, from Enoch to Methuselah to Lamech and then to Noah. And what that tells me is if you and I are going to be righteous people, it is going to require that you and I put ourselves with other people who are great role models. Every one of us needs people around us to challenge us, to bring us. Because we're always around people who are going to be bad role models for us. I mean, that's just part of living, right? There's always going to be somebody that's not a good role model. So you and I have to intentionally place ourselves around people who are going to stretch us to grow towards God and godliness and righteousness. And, and model those things for us. Because sometimes you don't just need to hear something taught. Sometimes you just simply need to see something lived out before you get it. And you need to see that lived out continually. And so you see Noah here had a, a history of role models. And, and, and quite frankly, not many of us have a long generation of history of great role models. So don't get discouraged because your family isn't Noah's family. <laughs> Mine isn't either. <laughs> okay? 
but you can go to other places. It doesn't have to come from your family. It can, you, you go out and search it out. Find people that are great role models for you that will stretch you and help you grow and, and go there and, and use them as a resource to help you become a righteous person. The next word that it says about Noah is that he's blameless, and that has more to do with his, the perception of how other people saw him. Righteousness is my relationship with God. Blamelessness is more my relationship with other people. Um, it's in regard to his conduct with other people. And it, it, again, it doesn't mean that Noah is perfect. Because there is no one perfect except for Jesus. But it does mean that Noah lived a life full of integrity and character. And it means that his life was was whole and you know he had a heart to do what is right that doesn't mean he always did that perfectly but he had a heart to do what is right it means that his neighbors really couldn't find any fault with his motivations and his intentions and all of that Noah built a godly life before he built the ark. And I think too often today, especially in our fast-paced microwave culture, we want God to use us in incredible ways. We want to build arcs. <laughs> if we didn't have to take 120 years to do it, and if we didn't have to build a godly life before we built the ark. And the fact is that God, when he uses people, the first thing he does is start working inside of us. And the greatest, the greatest encouragement, I, and I said this a little bit differently a couple weeks ago, I think, but... If, if God is working in your life and you're feeling some conviction, that is a wonderful thing you ought to rejoice in. That, that just says that God is, it still cares about you. He's still at work in your life. And, and he's, he, he's there for you. When, God, when there's no um, spirit of God that comes and confronts you or calls you or makes you feel sorry for your sin, that's a dangerous place to be in. The greatest place in the world to be in is when God's Spirit can come and say, Adrian, you're missing the mark here, buddy. And you need to repent. That's a wonderful place to be in. You want to be able to hear the Spirit of God convict you of sin. Because that means God is still at work in you and God still cares about you and God still wants the very best for you. But what are the implications of having favor with God? Noah found favor with God. So what does that mean? Does that mean that uh, all of a sudden life turns around and he's all happy and he's got everything he wants? And his problems just melt away. Isn't that what we generally think in our American culture? That if we have found favor with God, our problems are going to go away. And we won't be sick. 
and we won't, you know, we won't have financial problems anymore because God is blessing us. Noah found favor with God, and what does God do? What does that mean? It certainly did not lead to an easy life for Noah. And the fact is, I can't find anyone in all of Scripture that if they found favor with God, that their life turned easy. I just want to be honest and upfront with you. If you're righteous and you're blameless and you have found favor with God, your life's not just going to get easy. It's probably going to get more complicated. Those who find favor with God will face new challenges. But those who find favor with God will be used by God. And there's nothing greater than that. Noah was different. Noah was ridiculed. Noah was willing to go in one direction when the whole world was going against him. Have you ever been in, you know, in a hallway, crowded with people all going one direction? Like at school when they're all heading to lunch and you're trying to get to the <laughs> going, going against the flow of traffic. It just doesn't work very well. The whole world was running one way and Noah was trying to go the other way. Trying to go to Obey God. The other thing that's so amazing here is that Noah spent, it tells us that Noah spent about 120 years building this ark. Now, most of us get bored after about 15 minutes doing something. I can't even put a puzzle together for more than 15 minutes. Noah for 120 years, was building an ark. And he just kept doing it every day. He kept building this ark that, you know, was so monstrous and so impossible. And he kept doing that even though he was the laughingstock of the entire world. They were all laughing at him. And he just kept plugging away, building the ark. That is the kind of obedience that only flows when righteousness is in place. We'll talk more, a little bit more about the ark in the coming weeks. But it was really made for floating and not for navigation. It was 450 feet long. We measured that out here for the kids one night. Went all the way from the corner of the property, way past our property on that side. And, you know, it's, it's humongous. 75, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high. Had three decks. And could hold the contents of 500 livestock railroad cars. Charles Swindoll says it was eight freight train cars wide. And as long as 66 freight cars long. Amazing. One man and his family building that. Day in, 
a day out because Noah obeyed everything God had told him to do. And it's one thing, I, I, I just want to emphasize it, it's one thing to be obedient for a little bit. That's another thing just to hang in there and continually day after day, week after week, month after month, decade after decade, be obedient to God. Some of the, some of the greatest people that I've met in my life have been people um, in their 80s and 90s who just have a track record of living for God for decade after decade after decade. And there is something radically different about those people. God just does something in them. You can, you can pick them out in a crowd because of that, that cons consistency that is there from following God time and time again, month after month, year after year, decade after decade. It's, a, it's absolutely amazing. Noah was that kind of man. Noah had, you know, Noah gets, finds favor with God, and all of a sudden he's got this huge responsibility. But it says God made a covenant with him. Noah was to build the ark, and God would bring the animals to it. I don't know if, how many of you have ever tried to load cattle in a trailer or round them up. Most of them have another idea. You know, in the images we have of Noah's Ark and those animals, they don't even have side rails or anything. <laughs> when you try to load cattle in a trailer, you've got to have side rails and... and hot shots and all kinds of whips and whatever else to get those cattle to move in the trailer and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and you see this plank going up to the ark and the animals are just going up two by two. <laughs> that's, a, that's an amazing part of the story. Noah did that. He was faithful. But when, when God, before God told him that he would bring the animals, he told, he told Noah, you build the ark and get these animals and, and load two of them all up. And I would have said, okay, the ark's okay, God. But I cannot bring all the animals together. And then later on, God tells him, oh, I will bring them to you. And God brings them together and they just march up there and load on the ark just like that. Well, I just lost it. There we go. We were just about done. Oh, we are. Oh. <laughs> the people who knew not God's voice perished. While the animals who recognized the voice of God did I want you to ponder that just a little bit this week. People who were created to hear the voice of God and rejected it 
parent. But there were animals who heard the voice of God and followed it. And they just all came. The ones that, the ones that were called, they just came and they survived. If God can save the animals by speaking to them, it should be our heart's desire that we have hearts that are sensitive to let God speak to us. Because God's intent, and he says this clearly in the scriptures, God's intent is that not one of us should perish. There isn't any one of you God desperately loves every one of you, and he has, he has provided everything he can do to make sure that you do not perish, but that you have eternal life in Christ. That is his plan. That is his dream. That's why he sent Jesus on the cross to die for you, so that you would hear his voice and follow him.